WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to a very, very special episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their support of the show. My name is Ethan Frank. Today is Friday, November 24th, recording this late afternoon, early evening here on Black Friday. And as always, I'm joined by Jordan Leonard. Jordan, happy Thanksgiving. How was your feast day? It was pretty good. The uh, The meal was very good. I went to a, some family friend's uh, house and they always cook great meals. So no offense to my mom, but they always cook very, very good meals. So I was happy about that. It was a co- quick drive up and down, uh, though, because uh, I was working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the men's games, and then the women's had a game in Vegas today. So it was a quick trip, but good food always, nonetheless. It is uh, it is good to be back here in the continental United States. I'm back in Syracuse after my voyages into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I can report it's much colder here than uh, th- than it was. Oh, really? <laughs> out in Hawaii. Yes, we're, we're pulling Jordan away from his beloved Jets right now, which may be a good thing based on the way the, oh, the first geez. half of that football game ended, which I'm sure many of you saw. Uh, but we, you know, we've been teasing this for a little bit. And uh, we're very, very excited to welcome the newest member of the Ostrom Avenue podcast crew onto the airwaves, Hudson Ridley. Hudson, how are you? How was your Thanksgiving? Not too bad, boys. Uh, My Thanksgiving, not bad. Mom's cooking. However, the one thing I can say that was a little disappointing, no homemade gravy. There's a little homemade gravy this year, but it kind of threw everything off. I had still the nice plates that I like, but you know what? I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed in that. Wow. You know, know, I I will say... No, no mac and cheese for me this year, which was very disappointing. Uh, mac and cheese, I feel like, always has to be on the Thanksgiving dinner table in my household. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I, I got to FaceTime into my Thanksgiving where my family <laughs> was uh, and got to see, you know, all my cousins and, and everyone and family friends. Um, so it was good to see from afar. But uh, Hudson, since you're mm. new here, I, I got a few questions for you so you can introduce Ooh. yourself to the Ostrom Avenue podcast uh, listenership. So so first of all, where where are you from? Uh, I'm from Denver, which I currently am here right now. However, not a Denver sports fan at all. All of my loyalties lie in Chicago. That's where I grew up. But now I've uh, been banished to the Rocky Mountains for the past seven years. Mountain time zone. I would I put that yeah. up there as the most interesting time zone in the United States. Best, the best time to watch time football, either. too, for 11. Everything starts at 11, 11 kickoff. Now that I'm on the east with Syracuse, I'm not going to lie. The 1 p.m. kickoff kind of sucks. 
<laughs> it's an interesting take. I'm sure many would agree. Uh, a couple other things for for the people to get to know you. What are what are some of your life goals, Hudson? What what, what do you what do you want to do with your life? Oh wow, we're getting deep here already. Uh, life goals. <laughs> uh, I'd say career life goals wise, I, I love to do play by play. So one of my goals would be kind of doing play by play for NBA or just a, a college in general. And I kind of love doing baseball play by play now. So anything in the realm of play by play. Uh, but in terms of life goals, maybe lead a lead a happy life, and uh, I die with no regrets. Is is that what you're <laughs> looking for, Ethan? That's all. You know that I I love everything you said there. I I got two more for you. We'll mm-hmm. start with a uh, some fun facts about yourself. What 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 are some things that you know people should know about you? So you know you got a good you know audience you know, podcaster mm-hmm. relationship here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Fun facts about me. Um. I had never, we'll make the Syracuse fun fact, I had never even thought about anything Syracuse until probably a year before getting here, and now I've kind of been a little more immersed in the culture and learned a lot more about it, Um, but growing up, I was always a uh, Northwestern football fan, so if any of you Syracuse fans uh, like to claim that you have it rough, uh, I grew up as a fan of Northwestern, not too great. Uh, Other fun facts about me... um, I don't know. I I like long walks on the beach. Is that a is that a cool one? Um, sure. I, I yeah, mean sometimes sure. I like I, sometimes I there. like long walks off a short pier. That, that, that's, <laughs> that's my favorite kind of walk on the beach. Um, uh-huh. and, and last one for you. Besides this one, obviously, what are some of your favorite podcasts? Ooh, I love uh, Pardon My Take, uh, Barstool. I feel like that's a that's a big one. A new untold story, another Barstool podcast. Um, and then if I had to pick a third one. I'd say uh, comedy podcast, Matt and Shane's secret podcast. Those are my top three. Mm. Sorry, uh, Ethan, for the, the uh, oh no, now I'm forgetting the name of your golf pod. No, it's not, no laying up. My, my favorite it's no laying up. I'm sorry, Ethan, not, uh, it's not cracking the top three here. Ethan's a big uh, big fan of the Ryan Rossillo pod. Yeah, Ryan Rossillo is Ooh, my guy. He's great. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Hudson. We've heard a lot of you about, you, besides the beach, a lot of sports stuff. Do you have any hobbies outside of sports? I love history. That that would be my big thing. Over the last okay, give us a, give days. us a, give us show off your history knowledge. Give us a history okay. fact. Well, over the last two days, I've been thinking a lot about not thinking, but watching documentaries on certain um, on certain. I was going to bring it up. Oh, oh I was yeah. going to bring up a new documentary that I started watching today. Oh, what would that I mean, be? We we could totally send this podcast completely off the rails. I was going to uh, say, it, I mean, there's a new documentary out about JFK and the JFK. Assassin. Oh, jeez. So I'm not, I'm not getting this, in on that. We could send this completely <laughs> off the rails, but I we want to spiral this right here. We, no, no, no. We'll save it for a later date, but history is definitely interesting. Uh, you know, yes. on, on a serious note in regards to history, while I was in Hawaii, I was lucky enough to go see Pearl Harbor um, and, and see, I, I'm fascinated. I love maps and geography and they had some of these really like giant maps that detailed the the Japanese plan for taking over pretty much all of the area that borders the Pacific Ocean and all the islands in it, which was absolutely fascinating. But a, a very, very cool place and very moving um, if you do like history to read and, and watch about what happened there during World War II. So on, on that history note and bringing it back to Hawaii, let's bring it to basketball and, and get into the meat. Of the show, the Maui Maui Invitational, uh, Syracuse goes one and two, which was expected. We said that before the week that you know going one and two was probably what we were going you know to see from Syracuse 
hung tough against Tennessee in game one before that game got out of hand. Never really had it against Gonzaga for the second straight day and then blows out Chaminade by 49 points. So, Jordan, what did we learn about Syracuse this week? I think uh, we learned that you know the expectations are pretty in the middle. So they're going to compete against the top talent in the country for the most part. They're going to have chances to win. They need to take advantage of those chances when they get them. But, you know, they're still dominant over a D2 team is kind of what I took away. That Tennessee game, I think, was really telling. The Gonzaga, not as much because it was the second day in a row on very little prep. But the Tennessee game, obviously, it was a closer game than the 17-point spread at the end of it. But it really showed that Syracuse can hand – hang in there in these games, but also play enough defense to really hang in there. Tennessee, when they were during that game, was the number one rated defense on Kempom. So the offense struggled a little little bit. And that Syracuse defense is what held them in that game. So going forward the rest of the season is that we've seen now Syracuse's defense can play that primary factor to keep Syracuse in these games going forward. Hudson, you agree with that? I I do. I think they also showed a little bit of a lack of experience. And obviously this is one of the youngest teams in the ACC, if not the youngest team. And the youngest. They showed that the youngest team in the ACC. They showed that against top tier competition in Tennessee and Gonzaga. It, it never really felt like they had it, as you mentioned, against Gonzaga. And it kind of shows how different they can be when they play a team with structure like Gonzaga and everything's moving quickly. Mark Few had that team doing great with ball movement. And then Tennessee, a little bit more of a disorganized team. Syracuse can take advantage of those more disorganized teams. And if Tennessee hadn't been so experienced down the stretch, you got fifth-year seniors like Vescovy, who who did their best to kind of shut down those younger talents of Syracuse. If you see that down the stretch with these more disorganized teams, Syracuse can take advantage. But if you're up against kind of a juggernaut machine who has – things firing on all cylinders like they did that's what's going to show that youth in Syracuse's team and we saw that I I think the you know coming into the week I mean this has been dubbed as you know the greatest you know pre or I guess non-conference in-season tournament ever in college basketball five teams in the top 11 of the AP poll and Syracuse being one of only three unranked teams with Chaminade division two school. And then UCLA, arguably a team that could be ranked nearly took down number four Marquette who barely lost to Purdue in the championship game in the, their first game of the tournament. So, you know, this was kind of an opportunity for Syracuse to play in front of a national audience for the first time in, in a little bit here and show for Adrian Autry to show, you know, what he's doing with this program. So there is kind of this quest or this journey to get back to national relevance. If you're Syracuse, I'm not sure if that really happened this week, considering, you know, the, you know, people will see the box score. Oh, Syracuse lost by 17 and then 19 to the real teams it played. But in terms of, if you actually watch the game, do you see progress there? Hudson? I totally see progress, Ethan. And I think a lot of fans were kind of upset when they looked at the box score and they looked at the end results and the differences between those quote unquote real teams and what Syracuse actually did. But I think the expectations for this team are set a little bit too high. This is Autry's first year. It's a lot of young players, a lot of sophomores. And when you go up against those better teams, it's not really going to end up exactly with margins of five points, six points, like a lot of Syracuse fans we're hoping for. This is still a major step forward, though. When you look at last year's squad, if you put them up against Tennessee and Gonzaga, those margins are 20, 25 points instead of, you know, a more realistic 15 or 17. They just need to kind of gel a little bit more together. I think Tennessee 
was a big win for this team and only losing by, I mean, on the box score a lot, but it really didn't feel like that. It was like, it was a five to eight point game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was was a 12 0 run in the last three minutes. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of threw everything off. Yeah. And really they were, they had the lead for most of the, well, most of the first half, I'm pretty sure. And in terms of the national stage conversation, I think it gets them back there in terms of they were playing in probably the most loaded in-season tournament, as you mentioned, Ethan, and then playing it on ESPN, showing up and really playing hard, I think is what um, I saw. And Hudson's right. I mean, you put them against these teams last year, they have no shot. I mean, maybe offensively they'll stay in the game a little bit, but the defense has no chance of actually locking down any of these players. And really, does it get them back to the national stage? No, but it, it really develops them early in the season. As Hudson mentioned, the youngest team in the ACC, you're not going to develop as a team playing the likes of Canisius, New Hampshire. You need to play better teams early in the year, not necessarily to get those uh, resume-building wins, but to develop as a group really mesh so when you get to conference play against Virginia in the next week or two, Georgetown, Oregon at a neutral site, you have experience doing that, and it puts you in a better chance to win the basketball game. Yeah, and when you look at this non-conference schedule, it's a very difficult one. I feel like I say this every every show, but Adrian Autry repeatedly says, you know, I did not make this schedule. I would not have made this schedule for me for my first year as a head coach. And he said that, you know, the pre-tournament media conference with all eight head coaches, uh, Andy Katz, the, the tournament host, uh, basically, you know, teen him up and he's like, well, we got our hands full this week. Uh, you know, something along those lines, because you look at the other coaches that were on that stage. Mick Cronin's been to a final four. Rick Barnes been to a final four. Mark Few been to two national championship games. Matt Painter, you know, Purdue's still trying to get to the final four, but this is a Purdue team that's been one of the five best teams in the country over the past few years and has had deep NCAA tournament runs. Shaka Smart's been to a final four. Um, Bill Self has won two national championships. Like the, these were high yeah. caliber coaches uh, coaching I- I- in this tournament. So, and then you have Adrian Autry, who's a first year head coach, and he knows he has an inexperienced roster. So he's trying to work those things out. Uh, it, does it help? Yeah, I, I think it does help. But when you look at this non conference schedule as a whole, you can only take moral wins so far because if Syracuse wants to be on the bubble and in that conversation at the end of the year, it's going to have to get some sort of a decent non-conference win. And at this point that the only real chances for that left are against Oregon and against LSU coming up this week. So if the orange can get one of those two games, that will be a, a huge, huge asset You know, I've heard mixed reviews regarding LSU, like, oh, LSU, you know, isn't that good. LSU is 65th on Ken Palm right now, and Syracuse is 128th last I checked. So that's nearly double. But from what I've heard, these two teams should be pretty evenly matched, and Syracuse will have have a home court advantage in that game. So when you guys look at the rest of this non-conference schedule, Syracuse is 4-2, and has home games against LSU, Cornell, and Niagara, and a road trip to Georgetown and a neutral site game in South Dakota against Oregon. And you also play Virginia as your early season ACC game in there. Where do you guys see this team finishing up non-conference play? And do you agree with the fact that if they want a shot at the NCAA tournament, they need to win against at least LSU or Oregon? I think you definitely need to win LSU. Oregon is a toss-up because it's neutral site. That only benefits you. It doesn't really take away from your resume. Well, I'm, I'm but, saying if you don't beat LSU, then you would have to beat Oregon. Well, you need to yeah, win one of the, one you with, need to win one of the two. 
Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think LSU, though, is more of a must win than Oregon is because it's at home and, and LSU is not as good as Oregon. They haven't been really as good to start the year. They have a pretty, I think it was lost to Nichols, I believe. Um, they had a, they have a bad loss already um, to start the season. That sounds right. In, in terms of the rest of the non-con, LSU, Cornell, Georgetown, Oregon, Niagara. I mean, Niagara, you have to win. That's just a given. Cornell, you should win. Um, whether it's by double digits or not, you know, doesn't make a huge deal. I think you got to go to Georgetown and get a victory there. Georgetown lost to Holy Cross already this year. And, you know, they're all right team with Ed Cooley in his first year, but you need to go get a road victory. Um, I think the Georgetown win would carry more weight because it's on the road. Um, and then, you know, if you play Oregon close and lose closely, it's not going to make a huge difference. So if you're only lost the rest of the way in the non-conference is Oregon, I think you did a good job heading into ACC play. I agree with Jordan. I kind of think you need to separate these into two echelons. When you look at teams like LSU and Oregon, you divide those from Georgetown, Niagara, and uh, Cornell. Those three at the bottom, I understand people still want to lump Georgetown in with some of the Blue Bloods. They have fallen so far off a cliff that you need to consider those as teams you need to not only beat, but hammer. Then you take it to LSU and Oregon. What this team showed against Tennessee Maybe not against Gonzaga, but what they showed against Tennessee, they can beat a team like LSU. LSU with already a bad loss this season with that dome atmosphere, a switch to -to man-to-man. If they kind of put stuff together and organize a little bit more from what they've seen from the Maui Gym Invitational and now bringing it here, I think that changes a lot. Now, team like Oregon, neutral site, Jordan's right. You lose by a couple, that's not really going to hurt your tournament resume in the long run, but that still kind of feels like a must-win game if you want to solidify yourself, not solidify, but really put yourself in the conversation early on, because I think a win over LSU isn't going to put you in the conversation, yet you beat all five of those teams, and all of a sudden you're a big name in there whose only two losses are to really two good programs. Oh, yeah. So so here's the Ken. I mean, I, I like to rely on Ken Palm a lot. It's not the be all end all, but it's a good representation. Syracuse is never high in Ken Palm, though. It, no. It's a good representation of of where you are as a, as a team. Oregon is 37th right now. LSU, I mentioned, is is 65th. Um, Cornell, I Syracuse actually moved up to 127th since I last checked. Cornell's yeah. actually 102nd right now, so they're 25 okay. spots higher than Syracuse. Wow. The one thing, the one thing I I am I am a fan of Ken Palm overall, but the one thing I caution is early in the year, Ken Palm is basically based on the the overall rankings are based on your overall efficiency, offensive and defense combined. So it really only takes into account who you've played. So Syracuse has played two top. 11 teams we don't know who cornell has played probably not great teams Two top so, 10 teams on ken palm yeah gonzaga is eighth tennessee's 10th okay so then you look at like a cornell who probably hasn't played any top 25 ken palm teams so that's where it kind of gets skewed at least in the beginning of this season i will say george, a big heart guy yeah, i guess george yeah jordan <laughs> likes the eye test uh george, georgetown is 173rd i i will mention so yeah, lost the ruckers in there. that goes that goes to Hudson's point, and Niagara is 306th. So, you know, Sneaky it, it, there's, Niagara there, team. <laughs> there's there's a discrepancy over this schedule. Um, but but you guys are right. You know, you got to win. Beating LSU, I don't know how much of a good win it will be, but it's not a bad like it's not a bad win. It, it's kind of like it, it's kind of right in the middle. Uh, we won't get a line on it until till early next week before the game. I would imagine Syracuse is a slight favorite. Uh, I could see it being, 
you know, within a four point spread either way. I think, I think it will be a close game. Um, you know, Syracuse has played some really good uh, big 10 or not big. I guess when you look back in the big ACC, big 10 ACC challenge, uh, Syracuse played some really good games. Think back double overtime against Indiana <laughs> yeah. two years ago, played good games against Maryland and, and Wisconsin in the dome previously. Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers, that Rutgers game. What was that? Three years ago was a, yeah. was a good, was a good game. I think they played Iowa one year in the dome. I want to say Luca Garza was on that team. Um, and that was a good game. They went on the road and beat Ohio state in 2018. Um, that was a good game. So usually these end up being good games, uh, regardless of the outcome. So, so fans should be excited for Tuesday when you look at this game and when you look at the first six games and especially what we saw, um, in Honolulu, is there any specific players that you guys are coming out of this being like, Oh, you know, this guy showed me a lot. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to do the rest of non-conference play as we head into December. I think the easy answer is Chris Bell because he's shown that he can score the ball a lot more than he did last year consistently. He's now had, I think, back-to-back games, maybe three straight games with at least 15 points or more. So I'll be interested to see if he can keep up that scoring. Not against Gonzaga. He went two for 18 against Gonzaga. Okay, so, well, and then he had, so he had 20-plus against Colgate, then double digits, I think 15 or more against Tennessee, not against Gonzaga, and then again against Chaminade. So three out of the last four. I'll be interested to see if he can do it on a consistent basis because Ethan and I were talking on the double overtime. Really, Judah Mintz, your main scorer. JJ can be relied on from time to time, but Chris Bell's really right now your second best scoring option so can he consistently put numbers up in terms of double digit points 15 or more points going through the rest of non-conference play and then also into conference play as well I kind of want to take a different side of the card here in terms of that obviously Chris Bell a player that you want to look for another guy that I'm looking for but for a different reason Naheem McLeod I I'm looking for him not just to be there but to show up Right now on the defensive glass, three boards against Gonzaga. He got out-rebounded miserably on that end. At seven foot four, I want him to show up throughout the rest of the non-conference schedule because once it gets into ACC play, he needs to be solidified by that point. And if you're going to have a guy you're trotting out there who can't get defensive rebounds, that's what's really been the killer of this team. So you can look to guys to like Chris Bell, Quadir Copeland, guys who can step up. I need guys who aren't just at the medium to step up to big. I need guys who are below the medium to now step up to medium to be serviceable so that this team can go forward and pick up some big wins. Yeah. One of my biggest observations from watching the Tennessee and Gonzaga game is that for being seven foot four, Naheem McLeod is a bad rebounder. And uh, on the double, you know, keep, we'll keep referencing our our double overtimes that we did in Hawaii. We had Matt Park, the voice of the orange on, on Tuesday. And he, he flat out said, he said for being seven foot four, Naheem McLeod is a bad rebounder. Um, you know, against Chaminade, anyone can look like a good rebounder, but it's been pretty consistently. Justin Taylor has been the best rebounder on this team through six games, which, which is something that needs to change. I mean, you mentioned Quadir Copeland. I, I know Jordan's oh, going to roll his eyes. Oh boy! But uh, you no, know, as, no, no. Well, I did. I will say, I saw him at the airport yesterday because the team's flight was around the same flight that ours was, and I, I went up to Quadir. I said, "I thought you were going to have that triple double, man." And he's like, I know, so close. So, you know, uh, he's in 20 to, minutes against Chaminade. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, but would still, you he rather... was closer than yeah. anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what you, what, like, you, you, you guys just want to take these things away. Like, <laughs> I, I understand you can't put a lot of stock into playing Shamanad, but it, it's like Jordan, you're like, you know, it, they shouldn't have even played Shamanad. It feels like the attitude you're taking. No, that's not the attitude I'm taking. It's just every time Quadir Copeland has a great game, it's Quadir is one of the best players on this team, and then you know, in a game like I don't know Gonzaga or Tennessee, where he has no shot whatsoever. Can't he's taken fadeaway jumpers and his jumper has been the br- most broke jumper I think I've ever seen on this team. And then we don't talk about that. And then no, no, when he goes to Shamanon, he almost gets a triple double because his his only good trait. I'm not saying he's not a good rebounder. He's not a good distributor. That's fine. That that is objectively true. The guy can't put up any points though, and he's an offensive liability because he can't shoot the ball. So okay, like when you I put will him on t- the court I will with take, Malik okay. Brown or Naheem, you, 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 it's hard. Okay, <laughs> I will take responsibility. You know, I, I, I accept your cr- critique. Yes, Monday and Tuesday did not go well. But, you, you know, Syracuse is not going to be playing Gonzaga in Tennessee every single game. And I do think there is some sort of value that Quadir Copeland can offer, even if it's not shooting. That's why I told you on the double overtime, I don't think he can be on the floor at the same time that both JJ and Judah are on the floor, because then that's three basically non-standstill shooters you have on the floor at one time, especially against a, a more talented team like an LSU or like a Virginia coming up. Yeah, he yeah. will always be fun to watch though, because he'll give you a fun six three he's, and three. He's easily the best passer on the team. Four three. I would say oh, him and him and JJ. Pass. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think JJ I I mean, it's a toss up. I I I would say, it, what did Bill Walton call him? The best practice player. And I knew Ethan was going to be riled up about We're that. We're talking about just, practice here. We're talking about practice, not a game, but practice. I I think. <laughs> He really, he gives that flash to a team that can kind of energize them a little bit. That's what he is. He's the energizer guy. If if they kind of limit him offensively, they don't have him take all these shots and they just make him a floor general. He's one of those guys come tournament time where you're really going to like because he is just going to be selfless, pass off the ball, things like that. But right now, he's really just more here for the flash and team excitement, even though he did almost have that triple-double. So, not, not to mention, he's probably one of the best man-to-man defenders on the team as well. Oh, so that's, length, that is incredible. That is what I want, though, in terms of let him play defense, let him distribute the ball, give the ball, put the ball in his hands. And when he is on the floor, I don't care who else is on the floor, he should be bringing the ball up. Don't let Judamins, let Judamins work off the ball because at least let Quadir handle the ball, which is probably his best attribute when he's on the court on the offensive side. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Hudson, you were talking earlier about, you know, needing to see more from Naheem McLeod on the rebounding end. Is there anyone offensively you're looking you're looking like I need more from you. I, I need more consistency, something along those lines. Before Shamanad, I would have said Justin Taylor. I don't know if we're really gonna count Shamanad as a uh, as a real test of offensive efficiency. But Justin Taylor through the first few games, I, I need to see a little bit more from him. The, but the rims really, had a the rims had a vendetta against and they him. were loud. Those rims are loud. So I, I will say Justin Taylor a little, but I don't necessarily think it's his fault. The guy I'm looking to see more of on the offensive end isn't on the court. I think it's Adrian Autry. It, it doesn't seem like the team really has an offensive identity when they go down the court. They just kind of chuck up a shot and say, oh, whatever, you know, we'll figure something out. We'll swing it around the horn. Oh, not open. Well, we'll take it anyway kind of thing. They really need to figure out some kind of identity or really, I, I don't even know, just identity to to kind of smooth things over because it looked rough when they got into holes against Gonzaga and Tennessee. 
it only makes it look rougher when you're not slowing the game down and you have no plan. I'd want to see more from Autry in terms of what he can set up for the team on the offensive end. And and talking to people that, that I spoke to last week is that the, the offensive philosophy right now is kind of just let your guys dribble and see if they can get in, use a ball screen and see if they can get into the lane and the defense collapses and you kick it to a playmaker, or you're able to draw contact and finish in the hole. But that foot puts a such a huge onus on Mince and Starling to create and to playmake for, for 40 minutes. Yeah. And they have yeah. other players on the team who can do it. And those guys really just haven't been stepping up in certain ways i mean obviously i want to see more out of malik on the offensive end and things like that not just that same game plan of kick out to the corner and you're not always going to have an open three and you just take it anyway i want to see more of a full-fledged effort jordan well that's that might be a one of the problems is that both your bigs can't shoot outside the paint is is but like malik brown is getting there I, okay well okay I yeah it. the shot looked the shot looked shot looked all right but, I mean, if you look at college basketball, one of the big reasons why some of these teams are are really good instead of just being good is because their guards can get to the basket, but also their big men can every once in a while slip that screen, get to the three-point line, and actually nail a three-pointer. That just adds an entire dimension to your offense that Syracuse doesn't have. I think I, I agree with Hudson is that it's a lot of motion offense. It's a lot of times where you're just trying to get to the hoop and cause the defense to rotate. But I think this team needs at least a couple plays where they can go down and run an actual set to try to take advantage of something they saw within the film against the defense. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, and he, I, he, I said it, you know, I feel like a million times during the week, it needs to do a better This offense needs to do a better job of down screening to get the shooters open because this team is, you know, shooting deprived and, and limited when it comes to, you know, three point shooting already that the more you can free up Chris Bell or Justin Taylor, who are, you know, maybe your two best shooters and maybe it's Benny Williams. If he can, you know, consistently stay on the court. I know, you know, Jordan, we, we don't need to get into this, but the shooters that are playing the most, Justin Taylor and Chris Bell, I think you need to run more, you know, down screens and, and off ball screens to get those guys open coming off curls. I, we saw it a couple times with Chris Bell. They ran that one play where he got it, came around a screen and curled right behind the foul line for like an 18 foot jumper. I mean, I'm not a fan of 18 foot jumpers. This is a, a, a team that's taken a lot of mid range shots through six games. I think they need to be taking the ball to the basket more, or stepping behind the three point line. But I, I like the idea for, from those type of sets. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think Jesse Edwards or no, nobody, nobody had any, no reaction. We didn't have anything no, I mean, to add I mean, on there. I mean, you're, I mean, you're correct, but I, I just don't think Naheem McLeod's as good of a screener um, than Jesse Edwards is. I think we've kind of seen that a little bit too. I mean, now we're just getting like pretty minute in terms of like freeing up guys to shoot. I'm not as opposed to the mid-range jumper, at least for Judah Mintz, because he's proven that he can hit it and he's better than. It's better than he's taking those shots than, than from three point land. Um, I just think that there just needs to be more uh, aggressiveness on the offense. I mean, Justin Taylor did struggle to shoot in Maui. He's going to shoot better than that throughout the rest of the season. But when passes go out to the three point line, be ready to shoot or pump fake and get to the rim. Like you said, I mean, it, if you're ready to shoot and you're going into your motion, that guy's going to fly out even harder. And then it makes an easier lane to get to the basket. If you go around them. I think the aggression on Judah and JJ's end was fine. I think once JJ starts to hit more consistently and kind of feel 
like he's more in rhythm or more a part of this offense it's really going to take off right now he hasn't really shown to be that big time transfer that we thought he was going to be but he has so much more time to prove that so that really shouldn't be a concern but once he starts to kind of get in the rhythm of that I think it changes the offense entirely because then you have two guys with that same play style who can either drive in kick out or have a really tough finish at the hoop I think that's what they're kind of waiting on but I don't think it's there yet. I can see it, but it just needs to be a little bit more intact or drawn out. Mike Waters said what? I guess it was two weeks ago at this point. Or no, it was last week. He said he's not panicking till New Year's. And I think I, I think it's fair because this is a team that is that is clearly still building. Any other basketball takes you guys want to get off your chest before on, before we move on to football? On that note of not panicking in terms about the team still gelling, it's also Adrian Autry's first year as head coach making the decision. So adjusting to what he's doing. It's not every not every decision is gonna work, but learning from each of those decisions. So the later you get in the season, now you have that experience that you can build off of and and make the right calls and make the right adjustments. Yeah, I, I think on that end, too, if not panicking, I think a lot of Syracuse fans after game one and especially game two in Maui or Honolulu, rather, really overreacted and kind of thought, oh, OK, this is this is just going to be the same thing as last year. It's not. You give them more time. If you if you give this team four more, five more, maybe six more weeks and you put them back against the same Tennessee team they saw, they can win that game. That's a very winnable game. They have to gel and they need a little bit more time and they need a lot more patience because they're young with a first year head coach and they proved that they can hang in games. So I was impressed by what I saw. All right. Syracuse four and two overall one and two in the Maui Invitational, but a lot of room to grow and, and, and some game get right games coming up, but face LSU on Tuesday night in, in what will be a challenge. Um, but as an opportunity to, to see how much this team has grown and, and recovered from the uh, from the long flight and drive uh, back from the long travel, I should say, back from Hawaii. Moving to football, Jordan and I talked on Monday, uh, a day after it was announced that Dino Babers is no longer the head coach of Syracuse football. Um, if you want to go listen to that podcast, you can find it wherever you get your podcast and check out our, our YouTube uh, at Ostrom Avenue podcast. The coaching search, it's picking up steam. I mean, there has been a lot of rumors and smoke around Dan Mullen over the past what 24 hours maybe less um you know there's a report from tommy sladek at cny central that uh he met with john wildtack on wednesday i've heard from people who heard from people that they saw dan mullen in syracuse uh i cannot confirm those reports this is just things i'm hearing um i don't know how how substantiated the these rumors are but it feels like there is a lot of smoke for there not to be some sort of fire here. Yeah, I, I like it, though. Like, I mean, well, having watched the ESPN game with uh, Boston College, even Matt Berry was joking with Dan Mullen about the Northeast and the word orange. So you don't just joke about it on national TV if there's nothing there, I would hope to think. But Dan Mullen would be a great hire. He's got experience as, one, an offensive coordinator, a quarterback's coach, a head coach at Mississippi State and Florida, which objectively are better programs than Syracuse. And he has Northeast ties, which is what John Wildhack wants. He's from Pennsylvania. Uh, he went to Ursinus College. I'm pretty sure that's in Pennsylvania. He was a Syracuse grad assistant, has some tie to 315. And I think he's just overall, at this point in his career, he's a good leader, but also brings that offensive flair that 
would really help Syracuse because the defense, again, over the last couple of years has not been the problem. The offense is just what has held Syracuse back for the most part. So if if there is some actual validity to these reports, I'm actually very excited for it. I also think Syracuse, not only is he a great fit for Syracuse, but I think Syracuse is a great fit for him. You look at the expectations that he had at Florida and he never really lived up to them, but those are really high level expectations. He knows what it's like to be in a big pond recruiting market. So he can use those tricks that he learned at Florida and Mississippi State to recruit. And people forget Mississippi State as a smaller program, Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen took him to the summit as like as a little program with they went to the orange bowl in 2014 they were they they were number one in the country correct for like a week or two they were in 2014 they were number one in the country yeah i mean that looks unreal having mississippi state in the number one spot in the country over georgia alabama all those players and yeah he goes to florida and he doesn't really do the best that's okay but in the long run you look at it syracuse does not have the expectations of Florida. If your expectation, according to John Wildhack, is seven and five, that's totally something that Dan Mullen can feel comfortable with. I hope he's not comfortable with it. I hope he wants to get more wins than just a seven and five. But this seems like a great fit for not only Dan Mullen in Syracuse, but Syracuse and Dan Mullen. It's a good, it's a good relationship. I'm, right, I'm like, pretty sure that Mississippi State team was the number one team in the first ever CFP top 25. If I'm not mistaken, I think I, they beat. I, I am not sure. You'd have to. You'd have to. You'd have to. You'd have to look that up. I. I mean, I. If you think about Mississippi State, would like thinking about Mississippi State in the context of the SEC, it feels like that's kind of where Syracuse is in the ACC in terms of program. Like, like I'll just start listing SEC schools: Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Florida. That's five. I would probably say Texas A&M is a, yeah. a more a bigger school than uh Mississippi State. Ole Miss, that's mm-hmm. seven. I mean then you get into debatable territory like, right. with, with debate Mississippi Arkansas, State, Missouri, Arkansas. South like they're all they all Tennessee, have their ups and downs. Uh, Tennessee would be another one that would tr- definitely be higher. Yeah. Um Kentucky State better be second right. to last. Yeah. Kentucky, I mean you could debate them. I mean Missouri's having a great year, but you could debate them in Missouri and Arkansas and Vanderbilt um, and Kentucky and probably South Carolina at this point, uh, based on what Shane Beamer is doing. But this the Mississippi State feels like a comparable, you know, SEC to ACC school based on where they fit in the landscape of the conference. I guess, you know, the thing that I've heard that I think rings true is that you don't want to hire a coach who's going to use the job as a stepping stone. And I don't think Dan Mullen, who is what in his late fifties is, is going to go to a school to then try to get back to the level of a, a Florida or that type of school. Obviously no coach is probably going to turn down coaching at the university of Florida um, because that is one of the most prestigious jobs in all of college football. But if you're Dan Mullen at this point, you're probably looking for a job where you can end your career at, at this point at what I, I want to say he's 59 years old. Um, I think he's a little sorry. bit younger than oh, that. Sorry. No, he's but, only 51. Yeah. Bob wow. Chesney, I believe. Wow, is he's only 51. Okay. So then forget what I just said. I, I'm, I was <laughs> well, mistaken. I'll, no, I you guess, can, 
you can make the argument in terms of where he's at in his career, how he went from Mississippi State, really revitalized that program, went to Florida, and then now has been in the broadcast booth that it wouldn't necessarily, if he came to Syracuse, it wouldn't be a stepping stone school. He is in his early 50s, but at this point in his career, he's been to the quote-unquote top, unless like Alabama, or which they're not, Georgia, which they're not. Like any of those really high up there schools come calling, he's probably going to stay in Syracuse, assuming he's you know, fairly compensated, not anything crazy, but, you know, middle of the pack ACC, which is what Dino Babers was already making. Yeah. And I think he's also a known commodity where other teams at the top aren't necessarily going to want to pick him up, whether or not he's fantastic at Syracuse. I think it's, it's both sides of that coin where he want he's going to want to stay in Syracuse likely to kind of build his legacy a little bit, because now he's gone from having a team in Mississippi state, having a team in Florida to having a segment on ESPN at halftime. Like that, that is his, uh, <laughs> that's his trajectory. So now if he, he gets back in a head coaching role, you know, coaches want to coach. If he's there in that role, he doesn't have to keep climbing because once you keep climbing, there's an end to the mountain and it can slope down quickly. And he's on the backside of that slope. If he can find some stability, I mean, again, it's a good symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Uh, Dan Mullen's been the name getting a lot of buzz. There was a report today um, from Syracuse.com that the website footballscoop.com, which is uh, a website that tracks uh, the college football coaching carousel, says Syracuse has vetted Dan Mullen, Holy Cross head coach Bob Chesney, who I mentioned uh, a moment ago, and Jordan and I talked about at length on Monday, Toledo head coach Jason Candle, who we who we also mentioned on Monday, Marshall coach Charles Huff, I don't think was a name we talked about on Monday, but we did speak about Notre Dame defensive coordinator Al Golden. So those are the five that we kind of know of right now. The others that, you know, we thought would be people, you know, a Tony White, the defensive coordinator, Nebraska, former Syracuse defensive coordinator, Kurt Signetti, the head coach at James Madison, who's done a really good job in their first year um, in the FBS. What do you guys think of those other names compared to Mullen and, and, and how do they, you know, stack up in terms of the Syracuse job and the qualifications that John Wildzak wants from a potential head coach? I think the best other than Dan Mullen would have to be Bob Chesney because of how he's kind of taken a step up and a step up and now at Holy Cross has made them a a viable program in the FCS where they just missed out in the playoff this year. They went to the playoff last year, went all the way to the quarterfinals. He brings that head coaching experience that was Northeast ties. Tony White, I don't think is going to come back because I think it would be not a step down, obviously head coaching, but I just don't believe he wants to come back. Um, and then the other the other guys you mentioned, I'm sorry, if you hire the Marshall or Toledo coach, you're essentially hiring Dino Babers part two. Like he came from Bowling Green. If you hire another Mac coach, I think you're going to get a lot of not that John Wildhack is going to listen to fans, but you're going to get a lot of groans like this is Dino Babers part number two. Um, and then you look at the defensive coordinator from Notre Dame. He's pre- He's done a solid job at Notre Dame, but I think. As Syracuse, as John Wildhack has said, this is not a rebuild. This is a reboot. You already have enough talent here to be semi-competitive-ish. Now you have to bring in more and really kind of just revitalize in one or two years. It's not a four-year rebuild. So bringing in somebody with head coaching experience can really help that. I don't mind the idea of the James Madison head coach, but I think it's the same thing we talked about with Mullen where it's, I don't know if you want a coach that's going to use you as a springboard. Right now, it feels like 
he's on an upward trajectory with bringing James Madison to the FBS level, getting this whole movement to try to get them in a bowl game, starting off 10 and 0 and getting college game day. He feels like a rising star. Syracuse be would just be a stepping stone on the way up. James Madison might be more invested in their football program than Syracuse. Oh, that is, that, now that is an interesting. Uh, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm, I mean, I mean, they're invested to get them to D one and they're 10 and zero. And no, they I lost. mean, they lost last. Well, sorry, they lost yeah. to App State. Whatever they were, whatever they're they're a good football team in the Sun Belt. And I, I mean, I I don't think I'm wrong. Like I mean, objectively, Syracuse is a basketball first school. James Madison. What other sports do they have that are as basketball, good? They're top twenty five. Okay, they beat Michigan State. They beat Michigan State. That's why they're top twenty five. Other than that, that, their football team is their bread and butter. So they probably have more investment or are more invested in their football program than Syracuse is. I, don't think I, guess, I also well, believe I guess they're the a big ca- rugby the- program too, Jordan. Oh, the okay. Counter- Rugby's well, not a Division One sport, but okay. The counterpoint to that would be Syracuse is working on developing the Lally Athletic Complex. And that is, 2025. The, you know, that is, you know, the saving grace. We're revamping our, our, our complex we- and we're making – we as in the school, not okay. we as in me. <laughs> not we as in me. <laughs> this is the pitch it. from this is the pitch from John Wildtack from the board from whatever is. We're revamping our entire football operations center, new weight room, new training facility, like wh- the whole nine yards. That you know, this is a place you're going to want to come play football, and you know that's the Syracuse pitch at this point. And and for me, I would expect this process to go fairly quickly. Like I definitely oh, yeah. think it's possible that a coach. I, I mean, December fourth is is the date to look at. That's a week from Monday, which is when the transfer portal opens. And it feels like you'd want to have a head coach in by then. So I, I don't know what John Wildtack has set for himself as a deadline, or maybe a soft deadline of of this coming weekend. Like a week a, sat, a week from tomorrow would be a week from Saturday. Um, but I, I think this is going to go fairly quickly. I can tell you that John Wildhack is very aware of December 4th. He was asked about not, not even like what the meaning of the date was. He was just asked about the date itself. And he's like, I know what, I know what December 4th is. So yeah, I mean, if you, and again, if you have, if you're John Wildhack and you want to compete next year and the year after the one way to do that is to get transfers. That's where your quarterback next year is objectively going to come from, if we're being honest. So having a co- a, co- a coach in place for that is a is a must. So I think next week is not a bad timeline. Do you think there's anything Nunzio can do to kind of take over? No, that that's, your, that's no. your guy. That's your guy. No, I, I mean, mean he's not. I mean, he is from Rutgers, so he's pre- he's definitely a great coach. But um, and you I got don't to think speak to him this week. Yeah, true. I don't think there's anything he can do because he was just hired at the beginning of the year. I think, I mean, Jason Beck is a more tenured coach at Syracuse University than Nunzio Campanelli. Nothing against Nunzio. He's a great guy. Talked to him earlier this week. Great football guy. Um, But he was named the coach because he's had interim coach experience. And yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything he could do. I think my my final question regarding this coaching search and, and one that I'm really thinking about is John Wildtax said at the press conference on Monday that his phone, he had never gotten more, you know, text calls <laughs> on Sunday. And on one hand, I'm thinking, really, is that really true for this program? And on the other hand, I'm thinking you're getting paid multi-million dollars a year to coach college football in one of the four power conferences remaining. So I guess it's possible that when one of these yeah. jobs comes open, you want it. So like, I'm trying to balance, like, 
is he really like, is there really that much interest in the job from people that they're reaching out to him or is he trying to make the job more appealing? I, I, I can believe that there are people reaching out. If you notice, it's not people at the division one level that are division one head coaches, all the names that have been mentioned. It are people that are not division one head coaches. So I think, you know, that makes sense. Um, I do think that, you know, Based on the last time Syracuse did a head coaching search, they're in a much better spot. Last time they were, what, the four wins the year before, um, and it was a four-year stint for Schaefer. So this time they went to a bowl game three last years. year. Only three years. 13, three 14, years? 15. Yeah, 13, okay. 14, That's 15. That's my bad. Um, you've shown that you know a coach can survive here for eight years. Um, and you went to a bowl game last year, you arguably probably, even if you lose tomorrow, you probably could have gotten to a bowl game if your quarterback stays healthy. Um, so it's sh- it's shown to be in a better spot than it was, what is it now, eight years ago when they were looking right. and ended up settling on Dino Babers. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what Matt Rule says, it's a good, stable job. <laughs> and I think, I think head coaches will be looking for a spot like this. I mean, obviously you can downplay – the success of Syracuse because they haven't had a whole lot of success recently, but it's a program with some historic success. So if you have a shot at this job, I mean, why not? You'd rather go here than Marshall, Coach Head Marshall, things like that. There are there are going to be coaches reaching out, but at the same time, like you said, Ethan, he's got to be drumming up awareness a little bit because there's and no th- way right. this is the most he's gotten. Right, but and I think I, I believe I said this on Monday, Jordan. Correct me if I'm wrong. This could be John Wildtack's only chance to hire a football coach. Right. If Absolutely. this hi- if this hire goes poorly, why why would you know the chancellor of the board have any reason to let John Wildtech hire another coach? Um, because they let Dino stick around for so long because of the extension that John Wildtech and you know the chancellor and the board gave him uh after 2018, and that turned out to backfire. Um, so you know, that was I guess you could he John Wildtech did not hire Dino Babers, but he kind of in, in a sense rehired him. So this is his second chance at at a football coach and probably his final one at Syracuse. So you know that probably adds more to 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 his fire to want to get someone for this job. Yeah, and I think you know looking at it, no matter what what coaches you hire, because he's hired a lot of coaches in the last couple of years in terms of Syracuse athletics. Basketball would be one that's up there for Syracuse, but football is the main one. I mean, football is the money maker. If you want to, you look good as an athletics department. If you hire a good football coach, you are set as an athletic director. Yeah. Maybe a uh, potential and, Ed Orgeron reunion in Syracuse, too. Uh, Just want to throw that you know, out. I actually saw him he, the other day in the shirt. He was uh, he was at the Boston College game that Dan Mullen was uh, on the call for with Matt Barry. So if you want to, you know, drum up anything from that, there's that. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we will have to wait and find out maybe this week. Ed Orgeron, uh, and, defensive coordinator for Dan Mullen? That would be Oh, great. wow. We'll Come see. on. I'd love it. We will see how, how this progresses throughout the week as we move from November into December. Looking ahead to the game tomorrow, you'll probably be hearing this on Saturday pregame or maybe even after the game. Uh, this is, I mean, I'll be at the game. Jordan will be you know, back in <laughs> studio. Hudson will be watching from home, I, I imagine. Yes. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm pulling up the unofficial sportsbook of the Yostrom Avenue podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook. I, I last I checked, Syracuse was a three point favorite. That number is down. I think to they're one, three or two one and a half. One and a half oh, Fanduel. It's dropped down to yeah. one and a half, and the over under is forty three and a half. Jordan, did I clinch an Ostrom picks victory last week with my correct predictions about Georgia Tech? You know, I was so mad about how that game ended. I did not actually calculate the updated standings. 
Um, I think you did though, because I lost. I went one and two, and you went two and one, which probably put me out because you were at a two and a half pick lead already. So yeah, I think you did. All right. So it. I'm really glad I did because I truly have no idea what to do with this game. Like truly no idea. On one hand, it's the new coach theory. I mean, the new coach theory. Oh, I feel like always prevails. You fire the coach, and then the next week you come out and you play better. And, you know, things look a lot better, a lot smoother, a lot freer. But then on the other hand, they fired the coach who recruited all these players to play at this school. So are these players going to be disappointed that their head coach is gone? Um, or And how motivated are they to play another game after this if they get a win and, and become bowl eligible? Or is there going to be a, a, a quarterback that throws the football in this game? I mean, so many questions, so many unknowns. And then there's the Wake Forest of it all, who at four and seven, if things were to really break their right way with a win, could still become bowl eligible at five no. and seven. If things I've read, if things really, really go their way, they could be one of the first teams invited at five and seven yeah. if things were to break the Demon Deacons way. So how motivated is Wake Forest coming into this game? I don't know. Steve Clawson has said some interesting things over the course of the week. Um, and this season in regards to you know his court, former quarterback, Sam Hartman, who transferred to Notre Dame and, and whatnot. But it's definitely a down year for the Demon Deacons, who just played in the ACC championship game, what, against Pittsburgh two years ago? What was it? Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Two years ago. Kenny so, Pickett game. So I guess I, I, that, was just, that was just a whole you know word salad of I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be wrong. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen until you see who's playing quarterback for Syracuse. Cause again, like, I mean, if you don't, if you don't have a quarterback throwing the ball, how much can you expect to win against a power five team that knows it's coming like Pittsburgh? Not very good. Didn't know what to expect. They got their, they got beat because of that. I mean, Georgia tech, you fought for it, but it's just, I don't know how much confidence you can have in that system working for a third straight week. Honestly, uh, I'm on the train of they're going to lose because there's just so much stuff going on around this program that it's Thanksgiving. It's the end of the season. How much do you actually want to go to a bowl game at this point? Uh, obviously, you want to as a player, but like, how much do you actually want to go? Like, your coach just got fired. You're bruised up. You're banged up. Uh, there's so many injuries that have riddled this roster throughout the entire season. The motivation is going to be there because it's the last game, but like how much motivate it's, it's honestly, there's a reason this game is on the CW because this game is probably going to be just a, I can tell you, I can tell you one definitive thing is that if I were a gambling man, I would be under, under a 43 <laughs> and a half. Oh, 43. What? This is a big 10 West game right here. We're going to see a big 10 West game. This is 1920s, 1910s, pre-World War II football is what we're going to see. I think neither of these teams will be particularly motivated as the end of the season approaches. Now that it's here, I think they're not particularly motivated. I think both teams are probably counting practices at this point with Wake Forest being on the very edge of bowl eligibility, if Ethan's correct, even though I, that's crazy getting into a bowl game at five and seven, it's bowl inflation. There's too many bowls. Uh, I will Facts. say Syracuse at this point too, Jordan, to your point, do they really want to play in a bowl game? Especially if that bowl game is going to be a lower tier ACC. Imagine you get put in the pinstripe bowl again. Do you no, that wouldn't happen. There's no way they would go play to Yankee the, Stadium again. There's no way they would play in the pinstripe bowl. Nah, for the I think the back, the back already year? played at Yankee Stadium. The, the Birmingham season. bowl exactly. is even worse. The Birmingham bowl is even worse. Yeah. Do you want to go to Birmingham over New York City? Where are the where of these places 
are you going to want to go if you're on Syracuse? I don't think they're really going to rally. Fenway wouldn't, Fenway wouldn't be the end of the world. No, Fenway would be fine, but they haven't but done they the don't Fenway play Bowl because of finals. Good finals. Because of finals week. I, well, but, I've, seen, I've seen some predictors that has the Fenway Bowl being played later if Syracuse were to oh, be in it. Really? Can we scratch That's like in mid December, like in well, the so, mid twenties in December? So here's the question: Like, obviously, we don't know who's going to start a quarterback on Saturday. Usually, with a bowl game, you'd think one of them would be healthy. Who, like, do you even like? Does Schrader even play? I would not. Does, I would. I would not start Carlos Del Rio Wilson if he was hundred percent. What you start, healthy. Braden Davis? I would. I would run a wildcat offense before I started Carlos Del Rio in a bowl again. game. In yes, a bowl yep. game. Yes. You wouldn't even 100%. start Luke McFadden. Having watched that, BC, Over, watching yep. that, watching that BC game. That then was, what's I the mean, point even playing in that game? Like yep. that is totally that is fair. Ridiculous. Totally, totally like, fair question. Yeah. I would. I would start. I think I would start you at quarterback, Jordan, over Carlos Del Rio Wilson. <laughs> 100%. I mean, that's thank you. I mean, I was a solid Jordan, high school quarterback. That, that was some like I, I I I like I don't mean this in an offensive way or like the he could not hit a receiver accurately. Like it was yeah. and not every interception was his fault and, and his receivers did not do him any favors, but there were consistently balls overthrown uh behind or way too far out in front of his receivers. Like like it was it, they could have been open and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, what if we get I mean, LaQuint Allen throwing the ball? No. How bad Dan, of an idea? Dan, what about Dan Villari throw throwing the ball? Dan Villari, Dan Villari not a bad idea. Uh, high school quarterback. Recruited I mean, to get Michigan. Your, or get Ja'Kari Williams up here. Get Ja'Kari Williams up here idea. start the game. What if yeah. you just take someone out of the portal for a bowl game? Ooh. Is that allowed? Just for one game only. I don't know. Will Rogers, one game only. Spencer Petrus, one game only. I don't know. Spencer Petrus. That's the Holy Cross quarterback, right? No, Spencer no, Spencer Petrus is, is the Iowa. Iowa quarterback. Oh, Luca. Who's, who's Luca? Is the yes, Sluka. I thought Sluka. Sluka. I thought Luca. Maybe I, I don't know. It's some. It's some interesting last name. His, his we'll first name out. is Matthew. I can tell that for sure. His first name is Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, Sluka. but like you're I said, right. you're right. You're right. I mean, if you're not going to start a real quarterback, like why are we even playing in this game? If I'm the yeah. defense, if I'm the, if I'm Marlo Wax, I'm like really, like why? Can I uh, can I opt out even if I'm not going to the NFL draft? Can I just opt out just to opt out? Like, come on, yeah. spend so a here, spend a holiday I, I, with your family. I got some numbers. I want like here's some potential milestones we could we could see tomorrow on the field. It is Senior Day, so I I would imagine Garrett Schrader plays in some capacity because it could be his final college football game ever. Um, just waiting here for these stats to load, but I believe there's a chance LaQuinn Allen could break a thousand rushing yards tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure how close he is. I am pulling that up as we speak. He's at nine hundred. Jawan Price, nine hundred and eighteen, <laughs> nine hundred and eighteen rushing yards. So eighty-two yards uh, from LaQuinn Allen tomorrow, and a touchdown will get him to one thousand yards and double-digit touchdowns on the season, which is a pretty good accomplishment in your first season starting. Um, Especially given the offensive line. Not even going to bother looking at what receiving milestones would be. <laughs> um, Max so Mang, defense, three catches. So the, de- <laughs> the defense. Eh, I don't think no one, much on the no one on this team has more than one interception. Um, Marlo um, Wax at 92 tackles. So if he has eight yeah. tackles, he gets over a hundred. Yeah, that would be an, a good accomplishment. He also has 10 and a half tackles for loss. I don't know. He's nowhere going to be close to Dwight Freeney, but he also has the most sacks on the team of four. Which is tells you something about your pass rush. Yeah, mm. when you're middle Brady Denenberg punt yards. Can he Very break a significant? Yeah, you, mean, uh, did you guys, did you guys see uh, Kevin Joby Jr. Kevin Joby Jr.'s mom wrote an op-ed in Syracuse. I did see that. I did see that. Speaking I of was, pass it, rush, 
I uh, I didn't read the entire thing. I just thought it was very interesting. Very interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> interesting opinion. Uh, you know, everyone has the right to an opinion. Um, Jack Stonehouse has a chance to get. Uh, well, he's at fifteen punts inside the twenty. Oh, um, five more inside the twenty. That. That's very doable tomorrow. What about penalties? How many penalties could this team get up to? <laughs> I don't know. Well, they probably won't have that many penalties because Dino's not in charge anymore. Ja- uh, Nunzio is probably gonna have this team back. Penalties. A bit more <laughs> um, Syracuse had eighty-two penalties in eleven games. Could they get eighteen and break the century mark tomorrow? Ooh. That would be interesting. <laughs> I don't, um, I don't that's so the mark hard. of a great team. I, I it's hard. Right... It's hard to go off sides when there's nobody in the building. I think. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. That is something I am intrigued to see how small this crowd is tomorrow. Um, uh, it, it will be sick to see how few people are in the dome for this game. Um, okay. I, I think I'm going to take the orange to win. I, I just, I don't think Wake Forest is very good. And I, I do think these seniors will be motivated to get a win. Um, and maybe they kind of just fall fall backwards into into a W. Jordan's taking Wake Hudson. What do you think? Oh no, I didn't say I was taking Wake. Yes, you did. You <laughs> said you were leaning Wake. Oh, when did I say that? Didn't you I say said, that? No, I never outwrote. I never out 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 outwardly Wrote said off. I was leaning Wake. Uh, I I I am leaning Syracuse. I do think oh. Wake has a better chance to win than everyone else thinks. Um, I do for some reason. This is just a classic Syracuse game where you know you win barely and you get bowl eligibility even though you also fired your head coach i do think that syracuse ends up winning unfortunately but yes yeah i think dan valari is going to have a career game on the ground tomorrow over 154 yards i think dan valari will win uh acc running back of the week again potentially acc quarterback of the week if they start throwing yeah. it with him dan valari has ru- wide receiver here, of the week. here you go hudson dan valari has run for 238 yards this season can he break 400 this season tomorrow oh 100 i think they'll just run only up the gut only every if play. the offense is still that scheme hmm. like I if think the, the offense is a regular if the if the offense is back out with schrader playing quarterback obviously that prediction kind of goes out the window yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, Dan Valari is the most important player on this team right now. Mm-hmm. I think the defense will also come to play. That. So, I, I think I, so too. I'm taking Syracuse. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap up Hudson's debut episode on the pod? I'm just glad he's out in the open now. I mean, I, we were lost. We didn't we, we couldn't see him. And now he's he's on camera and joining us. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. Yeah, I was held behind the scenes out with a uh, <laughs> with a concussion. The Miami doctor saw me on the sideline. They said, throw him back in the game. So uh, here I am. Well, here he well, is. He's at the Ocean Maverick Podcast, I think we're a little bit, uh, little bit uh, more cautious. We held you out for two weeks, and uh, now you're back into play. Here he <laughs> is. He's he's our big, beautiful boy. He's he's going to be on the pod for, for many episodes to come. Welcome, Hudson. Uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. As we've talked about all week on WAER, uh, I mean, the grind does not stop. Football tomorrow after three basketball games already this week. That means WAER's coverage gets going at 1.30 for a 2 o'clock tip-off, and you can hear Jordan on the double overtime after the game until 7 p.m. Next basketball game, we talked about it. LSU Tuesday night, 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame coverage, the double overtime 
until 11 p.m. And of course, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast, W8ER.org, and check us out on YouTube at Ostrom Avenue Podcast. That's where a lot of our video episodes live, including all of our interviews. So no matter who do you want to hear from, whether you want it basketball with Mike Waters like we did last week, some football, we had a great football episode with Tom Luganbill uh, a, a few weeks back detailing you know, what could happen, you know, with the Dino Babers regime. And, and look, here we are now and, and and things have happened. And we'll be sure to have plenty more basketball content as we get into the meat of that season. And then when, you know, Syracuse hires a head coach, I'm sure we'll be talking to some experts on how that came to be as well. All right. Thank you very much again to Empire Hearing and Audiology for their continued support of the show. We really, really appreciate them. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in each and every week. We'll be back next week previewing Virginia and maybe a head coach is hired by John Wildzak. We will see. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the games.